Are you a healthcare organization struggling to achieve success? What if I told you that success not only depends on strategy, but also on the right mindset? At the Mindset Gap, their team of seasoned consultants understand the critical role mindset plays in achieving organizational excellence by empowering your workforce to think innovatively, embrace change, and adapt to new challenges. So imagine your workplace, one where your employees and patients thrive, where creativity and productivity go hand in hand, and where obstacles become opportunities. Don't let your organization fall into the mindset gap. Take the first step towards unlocking your potential today and email assist at themindsetgap.com with the referral code GENCAN20 to schedule a consultation. Welcome to the Healthcare Provider Happy Hour. This is a safe space where we invite healthcare providers to unapologetically be themselves after the working day. My name is Jennifer George, and each week I will connect you with guests and stories that will help transform your stress to success and fulfillment. Are you with me? Grab your drink of choice and let's chat. Hey everyone, welcome to the Healthcare Provider Happy Hour. I'm your host, Jennifer George, and I'm joining you today with Amanda Kate. Amanda is a kinesiologist, mentor, life coach, mother, and the author of the book, Divine Messy Human, a spiritual guide to prioritizing internal truth over external influence. In Amanda's practice, she helps others regain their vitality, smashing through their internal glass ceiling and limitations to finding new levels of health, vitality, and abundance. She works a lot with those who have experienced emotional trauma as well. And in this episode, she chats a lot about that. And I think it's it'll be really powerful for yourself, but also for your own practice. And overall, we talk about emotional fluency and what that is and its link to health and how we can begin to trust our internal guidance in a very externally influenced world. So grab your drink of choice. I think you're going to enjoy this episode and join us. Hi, Amanda. Welcome to the show. Thank you for being Thank here. Thank you so much for having me here. I'm so excited that you're here talking more about emotional fluency, which I think is really cool to talk about and trusting our inner guidance. And um, mm. yeah, we can learn a lot from you and your story. So if you don't mind getting into that with us, just tell us a little bit more about who you are and what you want listeners to know about you. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, um, I had a pretty, I guess, normal-ish upbringing, really. I was white, middle-class, Church of England raised. You know, I went to school, high school, got good grades, went to university, and then I went traveling for a while. And um, I guess it wasn't really until my early 30s that I started realizing something was kind of wrong. And in that kind of upbringing, I guess there's different ways that, and and not just in my upbringing, of course, in, in our societal one where, you know, there's right ways to be and there's wrong ways to be and there's the good girl that's expected. And so I spent most of my life trying to do what everyone else expected of me. So I got to my early 30s and I started getting really, really sick, like really sick. And I went to doctors and I had all the blood tests done and they're going, you're the healthiest sick person I've ever seen. Like, I don't understand what's going on with you. And so that started me down the path of holistic medicine. Um, I started looking for answers for what was going on. Like I was a pretty self-motivated person. I, you know, I was living to be the good wife, the good mother, the, you know, good daughter, the mm-hmm. <laughs> all of that all sort of, of stuff. And yet it got to the middle of the afternoon, I'd be needing three hour naps and I just could not understand it. Like I couldn't get through the day and I was exhausted. Like it went from that regular tiredness that I mm-hmm. think you get from being an adult in a modern world to literal exhaustion where I could not 
put one foot in front of the other, but I had no choice. I had to keep going. Um, I didn't really have any support systems around me to pick up any of the slack and to give me the time to recover and recuperate. So I was constantly pushing through all of that, those health issues. And my limbs were tired. My body was sluggish. I was, I literally don't know how I did it. And so I started seeing a naturopath and she got me off gluten and we made some changes to my diet and I was going to the gym regularly, but, you know, again, it would take me three or four days to recover from each workout. And because I was going daily, Mm -hmm. (laughs) it was this cumulative effect of never, ever catching up. And then I was seeing a chiropractor. I started seeing a Chinese doctor. I can't even remember who else I was seeing. There was a litany of different people. And I got told by about four of them, you've actually got chronic fatigue. This is what's going on for you. And again, I sort of fought through it. I was, you know, I guess that's the way we tend to do things. There's your knuckle down, your double down, and you just go, if I just fight this a little bit more, I'll get through the other yeah, side. So true. Not realizing that that was probably the worst bloody thing to try and do. <laughs> but there's me hunkering down, fighting away. And it got to a, a real crux point at the beginning of 2015. We'd gone away from a family holiday and I, I suffered a pretty traumatic event um, with my then ex-husband, well, my now ex-husband, my then husband. Um, basically, he just went bananas at me for about four hours solid um, about just tearing strips off me, really, um, literally shredding me to pieces. And um, and I get it. He'd been under stress and all the rest of it, but it really changed everything for me. I went and got a mental health care plan because I thought I was broken. I thought I needed to fix myself to save my marriage. I thought there was something fundamentally wrong with me because mm. I was exhausted all the time and I was struggling. Um, I wasn't connecting with my ex-husband. I wasn't re- like I was connecting with my children, but more from that, you know, I've got to get all this stuff done. Um, we did have you know, especially with the kids and I, we've had an incredible relationship, but I just knew I was getting snappier, more short-tempered. And so when I got back from the holiday, I got a mental health care plan and went to see my GP and got a referral to a physiotherapist. A physiotherapist it's because I'm looking at you. Yeah. I said that. Um, a psychologist. <laughs> they both begin with P. Um, a psychologist. Yeah. And They said, when I rang them to make an appointment, they said, so, you know, what's happening for you? Who's got your back? And that was it. I just crumbled. I just, I'd never been asked about my support structures and who had my back. I didn't have anybody. I was holding up the pack of cards, but it was inverted and I was the bottom one. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I was trying to constantly balance all of that. And so I ended up um, booking in for the, the psychologist and her mindfulness course had been, you know, was due to start in about six or eight weeks. And then she said, look, you sound like you need a bit of help in the meantime. We've got a Reiki person here and we've got a kinesiologist. Mm. And I had no idea. I'd had Reiki session before, but it wasn't like, it didn't really sing to me. It didn't like it calmed me, but it didn't really do a lot more than that at the time. So I was like, fine, look, I've never heard of kinesiology. I'll give it a go. And that first session changed my life. She said to me, you don't understand how emotionally abused you are, do you? Mm. And everything just started falling into place from that moment. Now, within six months of that, I, I was a different person. I was starting to actually listen to myself. I was starting to understand all the emotions that I'd suppressed over the years, which basically was what I believe the true cause of the the chronic fatigue. I'd never been able to speak my mind. I'd never been able to speak my truth. You know, if I ever let anybody into, you know, my fantasies or my dreams, I'd be ridiculed and humiliated and shamed for them. And it would become like a running joke type thing um and so I'd I'd kept so much hidden Mm -hmm. that there was no room left for anything else um and as the kinesiology started to remove some of that emotional conditioning and those layers it just I started finding this freedom that I hadn't found before and I was getting better I was getting healthier I was getting more vibrant I was finding you know my joy again And then I think it was the October, so six months after my first session, I was sitting in the classroom learning how to become a practitioner because it had changed my life so much. I thought if I can just have this, a tiny bit of that impact on somebody, I've 
lived a good life. Mm. Um, and yeah, it's just, it's one of those things. And I literally threw myself into it. So I did six years worth of study in four years. Um, I did my diploma of kinesiology, my advanced international diploma of kinesiopractic studies. I did total body modification, which is more well known in the United States. Um, it is a bit like kinesiology. It's sort of a form of it um, where you look at the systems of the body and how they're working. So I did three modules of that. I did my Reiki and my Reiki 2. I just I did quantum neurology, which is looking at anxiety and depression triggers. I did advanced hormones and glands. Like I literally just threw myself into everything I could because the more I knew, the more I realized I didn't know and the more right. I wanted to know because it was making me a better person. Right. Every layer I unlocked, I was becoming better and more true to who I was. And I was able to listen to my heart and my soul a lot more. Mm-hmm. So I felt more alive is probably the best way to describe it. Yeah. Wow. And then for you to turn around and seek your own training in that area because it helped you so much. Um, wow. So like, I really do believe that, yeah, our emotional trauma and our emotional experiences can be so far suppressed and repressed mm. that we, that they physically begin to weigh on us or they, they come up in, you know, as pain, um, you know, mm. in my field commonly we see, um, anxiety and things like that. But when, so when your psychologist recommended, I know you kind of said like, I'll, okay, fine, I'll just do it. Were you open to it? Like, did you were you, were you hopeful? Like, can you take me back to that moment? Cause I'm just thinking about a patient who yeah. might come into our path. Right. And, and I think oh. that's a big part of it is that yeah. willingness to, to be a part of the healing as well. Um, yeah. on the other side, right? To be honest, I think the biggest thing was desperation. Yeah. That's what it sounded I, like. I knew that because of my perceived brokenness, And the way I kept being told how broken I was by, you know, my ex-husband, that I I was honestly believing that there was no hope for me, that I was I was a I was a lost cause. And and in that moment, I was just like, I've got to try something because I'm gonna lose my marriage, I'm gonna lose the life that I, you know, I've worked so hard for and that I've, you know, busted my butt to create. And it was literally that I felt like it was a last-ditch effort. Okay. It, there was, and I just went, I've just got to see what it can do. Like, And it, because I didn't know anything about it, right? I went in blind. Yeah, I had no clue what they were going to do. And I was just laying there and then there must have been this part of my soul that just knew that this was what was going to help me. Because I was really open to what I was receiving that day and I had such a big emotional release and every single time I went I was clearing out layers and layers of this trauma that I'd collected over the years and it it was lightening me. I felt lighter. And, you know, it took me eight months after that first session to walk out of my marriage Mm. but I honestly believe it gave me the truth to start realising what I needed and he wasn't getting the love he needed in the marriage and I wasn't getting the love I needed. Right. And it was actually the kindest thing for both of us as much as it was tough and, you know, but it was so toxic between us. Mm-hmm. And that toxicity was eating away at me as well. Yeah, and not to mention your children, like mm. having children together right, oh. too during that environment. So yeah. I can't imagine. So, oh, absolutely. Yeah, so I see that being a motivator as well for you to have gotten well yeah. completely. Wow. Yeah. I wanted them to know that the kind of love I was receiving wasn't love and the kind of love I was giving wasn't love because it wasn't. It was It was conditional. It was, it was just nasty. Like I, I can't even describe it any other way. I know I was not my best self in that marriage and I know he wasn't his best self. Right. And And I didn't want my children to live the life I was living. Mm-hmm. And I think that was the biggest wake-up call. And I say that to a lot of my clients now. If your children were living your life, would you be happy about that? Powerful question. And it's the catalyst for a lot of people to change because they look at it and they go, no, I'm, you know, I'm working in a job I hate and I'm too scared to get out of it. Well, do you want your kids to be in the same situation? You know, I'm in a crappy marriage or I'm in an abusive marriage. Mm-hmm. You know, would you want your kids in the same situation? And so as I started asking myself that, it changed the way that I did things. 
And eventually I then was able to do it for me. (laughs) Yeah, eventually. I mean, it's hard, right? I I can see that being really challenging, though, when you've lost a sense of self to find your way back or to reinvent Mm. or to reclaim. Um, Let's talk a little bit about kinesiology for a moment for my North American (laughs) friends and myself included, because I had no idea (laughs) that kinesiology (laughs) in Australia was so holistic um, in termed kinesiology, because when I think about it here in Canada, um, it's got a different scope. Mm. Um, I mean, it's got a pretty broad scope, don't get me wrong, um, but it's more, you know, it's more evidence-based with respect to uh, human movement. Um, So, you know, whether it's preventative, whether it's, you know, chronic disease management, whether it's ergonomic assessments, return to work hardening, Mm. like that's the kind of stuff we usually see in that scope. Um, and they're regulated yep. professionals on that level. But uh, and I, that's my undergrad degree. And as a physiotherapist, yes. <laughs> I work very closely with kinesiologists, or I, I did a lot in private practice. So um, yeah, so but in Australia, it's more holistic. I loved how you termed it on your on your page. And I saw this on, on other sites was that it kind of combines um, Western medicine and uh, Eastern wisdom and spirituality yes. and that kind of brings the two together right compliments I guess yeah it's more complimentary yeah. right yeah so yeah can absolutely you, can you tell me more well about your I story? think because I remember kinesiology from when my sister was studying physiotherapy over here as well so oh. she did kinesiology as part of hers and it was it was about movement yeah but when we're looking at movement we're looking at movement on every level of the human being. So we're looking at the energetic movements. We're looking at what's blocking movement or what's, you know, too free flowing with movement. Um, you know, for us, pain is an accumulation of energy in one point. Mm-hmm. So how do we disperse that energetic uh, build up to release the pain? So we're not looking at, I guess, the symptoms so much. So people will come in with all their symptoms and it gives me an idea But we're looking at what is the underlying root cause that is causing all of these symptoms to be in place. Because our bodies, when they are in perfect alignment, they are in perfect health. They have perfect amounts of vitality and energy and they work beautifully. We don't have the stiff joints and the aches and the pains and all of that. And a lot of it comes back to trauma. And when I talk trauma, trauma is anything that your body finds less than nourishing and nurturing Mm. so everything can impact us as either you know I mean when we think of trauma we tend to think of that big t trauma accidents abuse you know a lot of the really big stuff that goes on deaths and you know and separations and all of that but it's actually about some of the small traumas that are like drips in a bucket that we don't recognize as traumas because we're like, well, that's just life. Right. And we suppress it. We move on. We don't feel that emotional capability. So even, I mean, to take a really basic example, as a child running, they fall over, they hurt their knee. Their parents like, oh, you're fine, get up. But what if in that moment that child is embarrassed because they've fallen over? They're in pain because their need now hurts, there's a bit of blood so they're scared. Mm -hmm. But they're being told to get up, dust themselves off and move on with it. And so they're feeling these feelings and they're being told that those feelings are something else. Mm. And so they deny their inner feelings to put on the mask because all children want to keep their tribe happy. Because in a really basic the brain sort of sense, Our brains are either we are loved and accepted by our tribe and our community or we are dead. We're going to be cast out into the wilderness and we're going to die. So everything is about being accepted by our tribe. So if we're finding emotions are coming up in us that aren't acceptable in that place where we're growing up, we will deny them and we'll suppress them and we will put on acts that mean that we're accepted. Wow. Because otherwise in our black and white brain, will be cast out. So when we're looking at energy, we're looking at the whole of their life experience. We're looking at mental, emotional, physical, spiritual, you know, metaphysical, relational, financial. So the first things I ask are about people's relationships and what their support structures are like and what their relationships with their children and their partners and their parents are all like because all of that actually feeds into how a person is expressing in the world. Mm. 
I was going to ask you what that, what that looks like on assessment Mm. when you, when you're meeting someone with the, for the first time. Uh, So yeah, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. So if you want to, (laughs) (laughs) you don't have to go through anything in detail, but I thought if you can, because it seems like you touch on everything. And I guess my, my follow-up question I was going to ask is, Mm, is all trauma recognizable, but you just said it's not. So we, we could be experiencing trauma without the awareness that we've even experienced trauma, but maybe our body and our um, neurology and, and stuff like that picks that up. Yeah. But I guess the other question is when you're, when we're talking about trauma and maybe more emotional, uh, mental support, um, at what point do you, like you had a psychologist refer you to a kinesiologist, right? So I guess I'm wondering like you as a kinesiologist, where do you draw the line in terms of mental health support or emotional support for your patients where you might have to re-refer back to psychologists or, you know what I mean? Um, or like, yeah. Or a psych or a social worker or a psychiatrist, I guess, or maybe I'm thinking a little bit too Western, but I guess I'm just wondering if, yeah. Oh, look, I think it absolutely is necessary. Um, but as, as the general point, Mm -hmm. most people come to me as a last resort. Okay. Until they've been seeing me for a while. And then they come to me as the first port of call. So often people have exhausted everything that traditional Western medicine or allopathic Western medicine has to offer. They have been to physios and chiros and, you know, and psychs and in some cases even psychiatrists, counsellors. They have exhausted everything and they are at their wit's end. They are like, I am still not getting better. I'm not okay. Wow. And it's because some of that underlying trauma is so suppressed and hidden because it's become behavioural. So they don't notice it as trauma because they're just behaving with these ingrained things and parts of them. Just part of that. And so I look at the healing journey very much as going back and and learning to love all of those parts, Mm -hmm. learning to find what they are and actually love them because every behaviour we have adopted kept us safe at some point Mm -hmm. and it was useful at some point. But what was useful when we were pre-2 is often not useful now. You know, I liken that to I remember my son, he's now six foot four. Um, But he was, (laughs) you know, when he was two and he had these little like overalls or dungarees and a little collared shirt and he'd run in when I was doing jobs and he'd get his little Fisher-Price toolkit Mm -hmm. with, you know, big chunky plastic tools and he'd try and help me do all the adult jobs. And that's the way I look at us when we're being unresourceful in our life, when we're acting from our inner hurt child who only wants to be loved or that inner teenager who just wants to feel worthy Mm. and seen. Mm. And so when those two parts are hurt, that's when we're in reaction. That is when we just blurt out whatever the hell it is Mm -hmm. and often we don't even realise we're doing it because it is so normalised. Yeah. And so as we go back and we start to heal some of those feelings, those traumas, those um, experiences, and resource those inner children with, you know, better ways of doing things and vibrationally change what's going on under that surface, then those behaviours do calm. Mm-hmm. I am so much less reactive and defensive now than I was five, even, well, let's face it, even 12 months ago. Wow. You know, because I'm constantly working on that. I'm constantly working on healing those inner traumas and finding new layers and finding new ways of looking at things. So trauma I see is such a complex mm-hmm. gestalt of issues within the body. It is so intermingled. And, you know, when we pull out one, we actually unravel a whole heap more. Mm. And But the more we're unraveling, the more we're coming back to who we are and who we were in the world. And so, yes, there is referral. You know, some of my clients are on antidepressants and they're like, oh, they get a bit nervous with me and I'm going, if it helps you function, then great. But the the times that I have problems with it, for example, I had a client who came in to see me. He had been on the same epilepsy medication for 15 years and not being like not being looked after by a GP. He was just put on the medication. He had endless refills mm. and that was just his meds. And I, he came in with this whole list of symptoms. I went onto this website, drugs.com, which tell you all the side effects. And I just went, you don't need to see me. You actually need to go back to your doctor and have them monitor what medication you're on. Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. and off he went. And I never yeah. saw him again. So whether he got better yeah. or not, I don't know. Yeah. But I was like, you know, and so again, it's it's also I've been able to pick up some of those kinds of things for people as well right. because they're not being monitored on some of these medications. Mm-hmm. And so then it's like, and I, and I do actually have to say, especially in Australia, I have to tell them, don't tell them your kinesiologist sent you. Oh, wow. Just say you're looking for, you know, you've been noticing these symptoms. You know, I'll give them the website that it's on and, you know, show them which yeah. bits to show. But because if they came in and said, I have my kinesiologist sent me, yeah. they'll get laughed out of here. Wow. Um, and yet, you know, especially with that gentleman, I'm like, I I know I did him the best service yeah. that day because his doctor wasn't watching him. Yeah, I just, uh, this this piece of your story here and um, mm. your experiences as working in healthcare reminds me a lot of the, my conversation with Magic Barclay, who's also... Um, oh, she's well, amazing. She yes. is amazing. And yeah. um, very similar, like in terms of noticing med side effects and things like that. And mm. I just, and I was saying to her, I was just like, I wish we could have more cross collaboration and, yeah. you know, it, and not not have our, not be so territorial because it's not benefiting the patient, you know, we're making it about ourselves. And I went, I wish we could just step out of that because, you know, people are needing support and on many different levels. And I think there's a place for all of us almost in a way. But yeah, that comes down to that patriarchal side of things. You know, patriarchy is all about scarcity. And look, I love men. And I think the divine masculine is just so important, as is the divine feminine. We are all needed with that balance that we bring to the world. But in terms of that patriarchy, you know, that is all about control and separation and scarcity. And this is my area of the turf. Mm -hmm. Whereas we are coming into new ages of working differently. And this is where I think collaboration needs to have the patient at the top of mind. Because if we could all work together, I mean, I have clients who are on antidepressants and they need them. Mm -hmm. You know, I hope that one day we'll be able to get to the traumas and unroot the reasons they're on them and therefore they won't need them anymore. But you know what, for now, absolutely stay on it right gee whiz like it's saving your life right now exactly and so again there's the whole range you know and and we get so fixated in good bad right wrong black white yes no we're not actually looking at everything in between yeah but quantum this is my favorite fact is that quantum physicists have proven that the universe is only four percent physical matter So when we look at this meat suit that we walk around in, it's 4% of our picture. Mm -hmm. And yet we look at it as though it's 96% of our picture. So true. But when you're looking at the physical being 4%, we've also got our spiritual health, our mental health, our emotional health, our energetic health, Mm -hmm. all of those things, transformational, relational, financial health, all of these different things feed into that picture. And then if we start looking even further afield, it's our cultural health, our societal health. Mm-hmm. And that's flagging at the moment as well because we've all been siloed into these competitive little bundles mm-hmm. rather than actually looking at the fact that, you know, and for some people this may sound religious, I don't come from it from that point, but we all have God's source within us. We all come from that same pure peace, pure love, pure happiness, pure joy. Mm -hmm. And our human experience is here to mess that up and to give us free will choice so that we learn certain lessons. Right. Yeah. I just, and I hope through this podcast and um, like kind of bringing those voices together Mm. and putting the patient at the the forefront um, with like-minded providers, I think, um, I think can only move things forward for us globally too, right? And collectively, because we know that uh, people have been through a lot of trauma in the last couple of years, especially. So like, I just, I feel like there's just so many layers there. And even as somebody as a physio who focuses on physical rehab, it's frustrating Mm. for me sometimes because I know that that's not all that they need. Right. So, um, and that's why I've aligned myself in a hospital setting where I can work with a psychologist and I can work with the GP, like, you know, and I can like yes. touch space because that, that piece I recognized very early on in my career was so important. And I working in private practice, I was frustrated by that silo. I just felt yeah. like it was 
I was alone <laughs> and, yes. um, and I knew yeah. that wasn't best for the patient. So, um, you do your best, but it's, we've got mm. a long, long way to go. And I think the awareness of it is so important. I think that if people just recognize Future. that, yeah, like my scope is my scope, but your scope is your scope. And, you know, we, you know, how yep. can we, how can we use all of, all of these strengths that we have and all of these gifts that we have to help people even more. Like yes. I just, I think to me, that's, that's the way I visualize it anyway. <laughs> so, oh, no. And I completely agree with you because again, there are, there's only so much that I can do with removing the trauma. I need body work therapists who can right. do the physical yeah, you need stuff. That support. Um, you know, whether it be massage, reflexology, physiotherapy, osteopathy, myotherapy, any of those, mm-hmm. you know, depending on what they're needing, even sending them to, you know, Chinese doctors for cupping and acupuncture, like they need that physical thing. Right. Sometimes to move out <laughs> what has been blocked as yeah. well. So there is a real mix on the things that that we need to be looking at. And and there is no one size fits all either. I've tried some stuff and I've gone, oh, that just doesn't work for me. And it doesn't mean it's not good. It yeah. just doesn't suit me. And I've been to some, you know, some practitioners and I'm like, oh, yeah, not you. Yeah. yeah. But then I'll find another practitioner in exactly the same modality and I will love them and rave about them. Because, again, it's the same way that we don't like everybody in the world and we're not supposed to. Yeah, it's It's the same with a practitioner and people are almost afraid to go and shop their practitioners around or have a chat with them before they book in. It's like if you don't have a rapport, you are not going to feel safe enough to allow people in to actually get to those deep levels that you need for healing. I'm so glad you said that actually, because I, I do believe that as well. And, um, and even like within the same scope of your practice, like you know, it, you know, as a kinesiologist, like, and I've always said, you know, there's so many other physios out there, right. That do what I do, but we're all still very different because we're, we're human beings. Right. And we're, you know, that rapport is so different and that's how we, I think, connect with the vast society and community of people who need our services. Right. Cause we are. And you don't walk in as a physio and you're just Jen physio. (laughs) You are Jen with all of your life experiences, all of your interactions, yeah. all of your familial relationships, like everything comes with you. It's not like we just, mind you, I did actually have a job once where I swear every time I checked into the building, my soul and personality got sucked <laughs> out of me. We didn't get it back to the end of the day. But it's a pretty rare occurrence to actually find something like that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but, you know, we do, we bring all of that we stuff and ourselves. people will either love you or they won't. Mm-hmm. And it's not about you actually, Thank because you. often we're triggering stuff in them that they've either not healed or that they're afraid to look at. Yeah. And so again, when we activate people, it can be a very, very good thing. Yeah. Because they start going, oh, I wonder what's up with me, or maybe that's not the right person for me. <laughs> right. Either way, there's a response somewhere. Um, so what exactly. are you? What are you seeing? Is it? Um, in terms of the aspects of health that you mentioned recently in your practice mm. currently, what are you noticing to be the more common um, roadblocks and areas of health right now? Is it more emotional based um, that you're noticing that people are having a hard time or he- trying to heal from that are blocking yeah. them? Okay. I think it always has been in, or I can't say always because that's too absolute, but you know, for a very long time, we've not been given permission to look at our true emotions and we've been told that they're scary so a lot of people don't want to do the emotional work because they're afraid it's a pandora's box and once they lift that lid they're afraid what they're going to find and they're afraid they're never going to be able to put the lid back on Mm -hmm. but the more we release those emotions the less control they have over us Mm -hmm. because we get to love them why are you here you know anger especially as women, we are told you do not show anger. And if, you know, if we have colored skin, you take, you've got to take even more of that anger out because you're not allowed to show it even more, which is, I think, horrific because everybody has anger in them. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the same with men at the moment. They, they're calling anything that's masculine, toxic masculinity, but it's not always. We're all allowed to feel angry. And anger, when it's the way we're expressing it that is coming from our years of hurt and suppression and repression. But when we feel angry, it's telling us that we've had a boundary violated, that somebody's not respecting our boundaries. It's telling us that we're feeling unloved, unworthy or disrespected 
or that we're not feeling seen or heard or understood. We're not feeling like we've got a voice. So there's a lot of stuff that sits under our anger, but anger is easier to feel. And we feel great sometimes in the moment when we're able to project that anger outwards and not have it fester inside. But actually it's just that quick release. Right. But it is easier to often feel the anger than it is to look at the hurt that's sitting underneath it. And people are afraid of that. But in the work that I've done and when you find the right person that you feel held energetically by, then, yes, it's frightening. Yes, it's confronting. Yes, you have to look at your own behaviour and go, you know what, that was a bit you know, that mm-hmm. wasn't the best. Yeah. <laughs> Got to take responsibility. You know, and, yeah. and that in itself is really confronting. It's hard. And so that's the kind of stuff that as we do it more and we start to see the results, that's when we start going, ah, okay. Now I can see, you know, even now if I start getting you know, snappy or grumpy or, you know, I start becoming the martyr who has to do everything herself, (laughs) I know it's because I'm actually not looking after myself. And the reason I'm annoyed with everybody else in the house is because I feel like they can do whatever they want. They can go and play their computers or they can go and, you know, and here's me having to do this. But that's not the case at all. You know, we've got four teenagers every other week in our house. They're quite capable of doing stuff. My partner is an amazing support and he will cook dinner. But when I get into that real kick the cat kind of uh, 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 mode with it, it's nobody else's fault but mine. And so when I can recognize it and look at myself and go, okay, what do I actually need? Mm -hmm. What do I need to get me out of this? Because it's not anybody else's fault that I'm feeling like this. Anytime I ask one of the kids to do something, they do it. So it's me putting that stuff on me. Yeah, that makes total <laughs> sense. Can you can you can you can you tell me about some other aspects of health, like maybe grief and hopelessness, and like oh, what what grief, those might? Because yeah. you talked about what anger could underlyingly represent, which is awesome. Um, could yeah. you talk? But I know like that's a harder place for my understanding to come back from is when you're feeling like hopeless and depressed, like that's kind of the most challenging. So what, what is that usually a sign of? Is it a sign of grief? Well, grief, if I, if I go back to grief, um, and I say this to my clients, you know, when we've, we go through a lot of griefs all the time, but most people only recognize the grief when somebody dies. And in our, it was certainly, you know, in my experience, There are very few cultures that do grief well. Those that do tend to be more of the traditional, you know, ancient cultures. They do grief beautifully. They celebrate the life. They, you know, they commune with their dead often as well. So it doesn't feel like such a gap. Mm -hmm. Here in the West, the funeral's over and get on with your life. You know, let's wash our hands of it. But that grief lives in people and people process it differently, again, depending on their own life you know, and how much they've been taught to repress stuff and, right. you know, all of those different things. And the problem with grief or the, the beauty of grief also is that it can manifest in so many different ways. Mm. Like I remember having my, when my grandfather died and I all of a sudden thought of him and I just started laughing. I can't even remember what it was now, but there was this memory and I was laughing. And then I started crying because I'm like, oh, my God, you know, should I be laughing at that? And there was a bit of guilt there. And Or there's times where it just smacks you down and takes the breath out of you. And I've got a couple of clients who've lost children, who've lost their partners, and part of what they hate most is that people judge them for the way they're grieving. Mm. You know, it's been over a year. You should really be moving on by now, shouldn't you? Well, who says who? Yeah. And judgment is the biggest thing that is standing in the way of of that grief. It should be done, you know, it used to be what you wear black for 365 days and what the next day you just wake up and it's all fine. No, it's not. Mm -hmm. We learn to live with grief as part of the tapestry of who we are. 
and it gives us this beautiful bittersweetness. I don't know if you've read Susan Cain's latest book, Bittersweet. Oh my no, God. But I want it, to. It I, is phenomenal. I, it I've is heard so her interviews good. about it. Yeah, I love yeah, Susan Cain. She's yeah. amazing. And and she talks about it beautifully, that bittersweetness. And and I think that's the bit that we need to make room for at the table. Mm-hmm. With hopelessness and depression. I do often find that a lot of it is trauma-based. A lot of it is suppressing the true nature of who they are, being ashamed of who they are at a really deep level. And as, as you start to uncover that purity of spirit, that depression starts to lift because they all of a sudden start to see their own magic and beauty. Mm. And as you build that the depression does slide, you know, when you get them connected back into their body. And, I mean, it is so Mm multi-layered, of course, you know, as is any trauma. But, you know, that prolonged hopelessness that does tend to cause depression, there is always reasons for it, you know, and they may be big reasons, financial reasons or racial reasons or, you know, gender reasons or, you know, there's a million and one different things that can feed into it. And it's also never just one area. Again, it's a multitude of areas melding together and and creating that disconnection. And when we are looking at the fact that society is, you know, this is my house with my garden and my fence and this is, you know, we've got one person in every car on the road and, you know, it's all this solitary stuff and we're built to be a community. Mm. And one of the things, there was a flip side of, of the, the COVID lockdowns, especially here in Melbourne where we had very long, hard lockdowns. Yeah. There was a duality there that I saw. One, most of, the t- most of the day I was on my own, but I have built this beautiful community at a beach cafe that I walk to almost every day. So I do about a 7K walk every day with my dog. I walk up to the cafe, I get a chai, I, you know, say hi to my little community and I walk back. And that community built through COVID. And it is the most eclectic community of different people. And there's people who started cold water swimming up there. So occasionally we all go for a swim in the freezing cold winter water. Um, I actually do it on my own down at my beach, which is a bit closer now. But, you know, there's all this beautiful community that's built up. And that saved me in COVID Mm. because my mental health was slipping even with all my tools Mm -hmm. because I felt isolated. I couldn't go and visit my family in the next state over. I couldn't, you know, I couldn't see a lot of my friends because they were outside my 5K bubble. There were so many restrictions and there's only so many FaceTimes and Zooms and telephone calls you can go before, you know, you just hide under your rock and kind of stay there. But that community that I found that had developed gave me so much and actually most of them came to my book launch. Oh, you know, it was quite interesting yeah. because they, they'd, they'd supported me while I was doing all that stuff. Yeah. And so whilst it's not necessarily deep, deep friendships, everybody cares if they haven't seen you for, for a few days. Have you been okay? You know, how are you getting on? Mm-hmm. And it's just lovely. And even if it, you don't feel like talking and you just walk in and say hi to everybody, that's all they, you know, then you might have a chat the next day or the next day. So you still keep and in so, touch? Yeah. So oh, you, yes, you guys yes. Are every That's day. Awesome. My doggy so, loves it. <laughs> <laughs> so you kind of touched on a point, like, as mm. you know, as a care provider to others um, during this pandemic, I just want to mm. speak a little bit. I want to touch on maybe yeah. any words of wisdom or any advice you might have right now for healthcare workers um, like myself, who've been through the pandemic um, mm. and are still navigating through a lot of changes. We have our own. Yeah we have our own like, you know, losses that, you know, from the way we used to practice Mm -hmm. compared to how we're practicing now, like we're grieving too through that collectively. Like, how do we, how do we continue to listen to ourselves internally and remain true to ourselves as humans first, Mm. while all of, you know, the stuff outside of us is going on while all of the noise outside of us is going on and change is constantly happening systemic issues that we don't have control over, you know, with respect to practice, um, things like that. How do you have any 
way we're for we me the biggest thing that I do and and I think this is why they call it spiritual practice because it's not just you do it once and and it's done it is daily cultivating that part in you that knows you're going to keep yourself safe that knows that you're going to keep yourself okay you know I had a massive aha moment and I was driving down a local freeway and I almost slammed on my brakes and stopped the car like it was this massive drop oh. of reality of me going every single day I was actually free to choose to leave my marriage I knew where the door was oh. I chose every day to stay I chose every day to be in that toxic environment and it was like that wow okay and it changed as much as it sounds like one moment it was that real thunderbolt mm-hmm. and I have developed this little bit in me that even when, you know, stuff's happening outside, I have this underlying thing of I know I can access joy. I know I can access safety. And when those emotions come up that are big, I'll name them. Because when we know what it is, it's less scary because we can put context around it. Okay, so this grief is coming up. Well, first, have the balls to call it grief. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. This is grief. I am grieving my old life. I am grieving my old practice. I am because a lot of people aren't even looking at the fact that they're grieving. Right. And one of the things that I'm seeing just now, my business is really starting to, to pick back up again. It's taken a long time, but it's because people were still in their trauma until recently. They're only just starting to get out of it. And you can't go into post-traumatic stress until you're out of the stress. Mm. And so people didn't even know they needed help because they're still in it. Mm -hmm. And so when you're feeling that inner turmoil and you can't name it, go see a practitioner. Go see somebody who is usually a somatic body therapist who can name the, you know, help you find the emotions that are sitting there. Um, Or, you know, Brené Brown's new book, Atlas of the Heart, is amazing. She goes through a lot of the different emotions. Um, You know, finding those resources to be able to give more context to what is going on in your body. And we're never just going to feel one emotion in our body at any one time. So it's also going, okay, what else am I feeling? What else am I feeling? And then it's like, well, why is it there? Mm -hmm. Well, you know what? I'm feeling grief right now because... I do kind of miss my old freedoms. I miss the way I used to practice. I miss, you know, my child. I miss my whatever it is. Right. Oh, you know what? That's actually a pretty damn good reason for that emotion to be there. Huh. You know, or I'm feeling really pissed off today. Well, why? Well, because, you know, I got up and no one else had wiped over the bench and no one else had done that and no, and I'm feeling like the slave. And, well, it's actually okay to feel angry about that. But, you know, how are you going to express that? Mm-hmm. How can I control that? What can I do about it? And do I shift out of it and choose another emotion that's going to, you know, lift me up a bit? Or am I going to stay in it and, you know, feel around in it to see if there's something more I need to do with it? Right. And feeling our emotions is not as scary. And so even for healthcare providers who are, a lot of them are burned out. A lot of them are exhausted. This is where that self-care comes in. And I'm not talking about the fluffy media, social media self-care. It's about hard boundaries that are self-loving. It is about making sure that you are a priority. It is noticing what I said earlier about the snappiness or the you know, snarkiness that I bring out occasionally. And then I'm like, you know what? I just need to go and have a bath. Mm-hmm. And, you know, care put myself in time out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it's coming no. from a place of love for yourself. Yeah. And I, and I think what, you know, one of the things that is important to mention and what you're saying, I think is that, you know, we can have the self care practices, but we also have to that has to come from a place of self-love too and compassion yeah. for oneself. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah. So because I, a lot of self-love out there is seen as the next thing to attain. It's a massage or it's this or it's that. But self-care is actually saying no when you need to say no and right. yes when you need to say yes. And it is being boundaried with right. your life. What can I do? What is positive for me? What does feel good to me? Last night I came home from work. I was exhausted. The last thing I wanted to do was go and plunge myself into 11 degree waters in the bay. Right. 
But I also knew that if I did it, I'd feel a lot better afterwards. And even when I was standing there waist deep, I'm like, what the hell am I doing? This is stupid. And I'm like, well, even if I just go in waist deep, it's fine. I've still done it. And then I dived under and it was the it was beautiful. The sun was setting and the water was calm. And yeah, okay, it's cold, but it I came out feeling a million times better because I could have easily backed out and I would have enjoyed my evening just as much. But that was the most self-loving thing I could have done right. in that so, moment. I love that. So you're honoring mm. yourself. And it's not always easy, right? It's, no. it's not <laughs> always no. easy. And I think <laughs> and I think like back to your point about social media fluff and stuff, like we've glamorized self-love, self-care mm. when you commodified like, it. Completely. And like, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. And so the way, um, and like your story speaks to the fact that it, it wasn't easy, but you've come out to the other side of that with a greater sense of self. And, um, where can people, uh, find your book divine messy human, which I absolutely love the title because it (laughs) covers everything. And where can people connect with you, Amanda? Yeah, absolutely. Well, my book is on my website. I believe it's also at Barnes and Noble and Amazon. I know it's on Kindle at the moment as well. And my website is www.amandakate.com.au. Um, I'm also on Facebook, uh, which is Amanda Kate Transformation. Uh, Insta is Amanda underscore underscore Kate. Um, there's a lot of Amanda <laughs> Kates out there. Yeah. Um, and I've just started my TikTok at Divinely Messy. Oh, beautiful. So So, we'll attach all of that in the show notes. And I just want to say thank you for being here and thank you for bearing your soul and also (laughs) helping others to, you know, come out on top and, and find themselves and love themselves for who they are. Mm. And just recognize that that is their true power is um, who they are. So I appreciate everything you're doing in this space. So thank you. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's been wonderful being on. So if you guys like this podcast, please subscribe and leave an honest review. Your feedback means everything to me. Your reviews are what moves this podcast forward, and I always appreciate receiving them. If you want to get a hold of me directly, reach out to me on social media. My handles are in the show notes, and you can always subscribe to my weekly newsletters at jenniferGeorge.co so that we can stay connected. So until next time, thank you guys so much again for your ongoing support.